Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. Together, we'll be talking about prayer, because a lot of people have been asking questions about prayer recently. We'll talk about what prayer actually is and how it's learned. And we'll recommend a few resources to help you cultivate a habit of prayer. Cameron, I don't know about you, but recently I have had more conversations about prayer, specifically how to pray, than I can remember having in a long time. It seems like a lot of people are asking in different ways questions having to do with with prayer. Have you run into that as well? I have. Yeah, actually, uh, we ha- had a discussion at small group just the other week uh, about prayer for some reason, not necessarily about the theology of it, but kind of how we were just getting really practical into into some questions of what it means to pray. Right. Well, that's actually great because I think one of one of my pet peeves is that when we talk about prayer, a lot of times what we do is immediately start talking about the theology of prayer and we don't really talk about the practice of prayer. And most people who have questions about prayer, those questions are pretty practical. You know, it's not always the same question. People say, oh, how should I pray? And, and one person is wondering, like, how do I develop a discipline of prayer, you know, so I can pray more regularly? Uh, some people really are wondering, like, like, how do I start praying? And so when you hear the question, sometimes you have to listen a little bit and figure out what exactly the need is. But unfortunately, I think a lot of times our, our discussion of prayer just kind of goes right over the head of all of those practical needs. So in this episode, why don't we try to do the opposite and yeah, right. keep it, this will be hard for us, but, but yeah. keep it practical and we'll allow ourselves a little bit of theology, but, but, um, but we'll try to stay as focused as we can on practicalities of prayer, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I like so that. just to kind of uh, get a gauge, uh, in your seminary experience, was there a lot of emphasis on prayer? Do you feel like you got a lot of instruction on how to pray or not? I don't remember much instruction on how to pray, honestly. We were talking before this. I took a lot of Christian ethics classes at seminary, so that, that was my specialty. So maybe that, that's the reason why I didn't get too much practical instruction on prayer. Of course, there were prayers happening pray at chapel but no you know went through two years of seminary and not a not a ton of practical help there yeah you know and i think i have a similar experience where i I don't recall ever you know here's how you pray or something like that i do remember there being an emphasis on like the spiritual life of a seminarian and the importance of your prayer life but uh in terms of practical instruction i think it's one of those things like literacy. By the time you get to seminary, it's kind of assumed that you've already got this. And so it's it's modeled. I remember 
in my first seminary class in Doctrine of Salvation, the first session of class when the professor, Dr. McWilliams, started to pray. And, you know, I closed my eyes and I was ready for a sort of uh, expectoration, you know, clearing of the throat in prayer before we we dived in. And he prayed and, and prayed and prayed and kept praying. And eventually I was like, Hey, what's going on? Like the prayer is still going on. Like, aren't we going to have class at some point? It was really, really long. Uh, it was an introduction for me to a kind of prayer that's pretty common in the Reformed world, but I wasn't accustomed to to that kind of in-depth, uh, like I guess a treatment of prayer as not a, it's not something you do to get out of the way so you can get to the main thing. But as a focus in and of itself. And so, yeah, I never had a how to pray class either. But I think I did learn some things about prayer that, that maybe shaped, altered the way that I'd thought of prayer. I wonder if one of the reasons we don't ask this question enough, especially in seminary, is because like you said, we assume it's just a fundamental of Christianity. And if you're here training to be a minister, well, of course you already know how to pray. And maybe some Christians who maybe they're not going into ministry, but they've been Christians their whole lives or for a while anyway, they feel the same way. Maybe they've been praying since they were kids and now they're adults and they're wondering, am I doing this right? Is, is this all that it is or am I missing something? Right. Yeah. I think that's a common thing, actually. I, I know a lot of people who are mature in their faith, who could give you really good, uh, theologically accurate and, and insightful answers to your questions about Christianity, but who have these same questions about prayer. And you would be surprised. Like, like I can't believe the same person who's able to explain to me this, this doctrinal complexity also has really fundamental questions about prayer, but it actually makes sense because prayer is not really something you learn by uh, instruction. It's something you learn through participation, right? And so those of us who've grown up in church or and honestly, even if you didn't grow up in church, but you've spent time in worship in the church, you've seen and heard a lot of prayer happening. You've been a part of prayers in corporate worship and that sort of thing. And so for some people, that is enough. You've been around it. You've heard it. You've seen how it works and you kind of internalize that. And it's as simple as you know talking to God, making air quotes as I say this. And, and, and that makes sense. But if you don't pick it up that way, it can really be um, puzzling, you know, and I think the disciples clearly felt this as well because they had a wonderful uh, practical demonstration of, of what the life of prayer should look like. They could see in Jesus, in his habits, in his ways, that this is what prayer is like. But they still go to him and say, hey, teach us to pray. And it's fascinating to me that when they do this, Jesus responds and he gives us the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and, and then moves on. Whereas people today, when they're asking this question, I mean, we're expecting to get, you know, a book 
at least a book length yeah. answer or a podcast at any rate, <laughs> seven steps. Yeah. You know, how in the world can, can just giving me the Lord's prayer be enough? Right. Don't I need more instruction? And so that's, I think a, a, a need that not only exists, but is also difficult sometimes for us to perceive because if you've kind of picked things up, the way uh, some people pick up language without understanding like the rules of grammar. They speak grammatically because they've just kind of always been around it and they've got the ear for it. If you've got the ear for prayer, it can be hard to understand the needs of people who don't or, or who need uh, more instruction than that. And so that's kind of the the starting point, I think, for us is, is just what, advice or counsel might we give to people who want to experience prayer more, who are concerned that maybe they're not praying often enough, they're not doing it the right way, or maybe they don't even understand what the prayer thing is about and what kind of help could we give them? I was hoping we could actually start with that last question you raised. We said we're not going to go too deep in this episode, but it is helpful just to define prayer. Um, if you don't know what it is, it's going to be tough to know how to do it, you know? So maybe let's, let's start there. How would, how would you define prayer simply? Sure. So the Westminster Shorter Catechism gives us a definition of prayer that I think is really helpful. So I'll give you the catechism definition, and then I'll give you sort of uh, my paraphrase of what's really behind that answer. So the catechism, this is question 98 of the Shorter Catechism, uh, or this is the answer to question 98, says that prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So as a definition, uh, that actually includes a lot of the fundamental aspects of prayer. So the definition, the core, is, is this idea that prayer is offering up our desires to God. So when we pray, we open up our hearts to God, we share our desires with him, which leads to an immediate question, why does God need us to do this? Isn't he all-knowing? Doesn't he know our desires better than we do ourselves? He does. So you have to ask yourself, if that's the case, why would God want us to do this? And clearly the, the object is not, he's not doing it for information. He's not doing it because he's curious about your desires there's something more to it than that. But before I say what that is, let's just touch on a couple more things in the catechism. So the things, the desires that we offer up in prayer are things agreeable to his will. So we pray, thy will be done. So it's not simply a, these are the things I want. You know, I'm not going to give God the list of all the stuff that I, I want him to come through on for me. This is, These are things that, I desire that I believe he desires for me as well. We pray in the name of Christ, like everything that comes to us, every blessing that comes to us comes to us because we are in Christ. And then there's two aspects of prayer that are mentioned specifically, confession of sin and thankful acknowledgement of his mercy. So there's the confessional or penitential aspect of prayer. One of the things we're meant to be doing in prayer is acknowledging our faults, confessing them, and then 
offering gratitude and thanks for forgiveness. So even in that short answer, the catechism gives us a number of little hooks to hang things on, but I want to make it simpler than that. So if you ask me what prayer is, I think the thing you've got to understand is is not what prayer is, but what prayer is for. Prayer is not an end. Prayer is a means. The Westminster Standards describe prayer as one of the means of grace. So prayer is something God uses in order to communicate, to give his grace to us. Well, what is the end? If prayer is a means, what is the end that prayer is is kind of striving towards? And the answer to that is communion. The reason that we pray is because we long for communion with God. And the expression of our desires, the confession of our sins, the offering up of our thanksgiving, all of that is really just a way for us to be with him, to commune with him, to sit in his presence, to hear from him. All of that is just similar to the way that that we might sit with and commune with a friend where we share our lives. We tell stories sometimes that the other person was there for and doesn't need us to narrate, but (laughs) we share those, those narratives because it's a way of remembering our relationship and, and communing. And so at the core, when somebody says, how should I pray? You know, what's the right way to pray? Something like that. Behind that desire, it's not or shouldn't be like a, a sense of duty. Like I, I know as a Christian, I'm supposed to be praying and I'm not praying enough. So I want to kind of fulfill my duty to pray. Instead, what I hear in that question is a, is a longing. I want to commune with God more deeply. I want to know him more and, and, and feel that I am known by him more. And prayer is a means to do this. So that's really what the focus is in prayer. And it, it's not about technique. It's not about saying the right words. It's not about, in some cases, saying words audibly at all. It is about communing with God and doing so by offering up our desires to him. That's really helpful. And it reminds me of something you've said before, which is that in worship on a Sunday, when we sing songs, that too is a kind of prayer. Absolutely. In the in the liturgy on a Sunday, we have prayers, of course, but we also have singing. And you've addressed that question. What kind of liturgy is this when we sing songs? Um, and And it is really helpful to think about it as prayer because when we sing, what are we doing but longing for communion with God in that too? And it's the same sort of act where we're laying our desires bare before God, sometimes laments, sometimes praises, and we're doing that in Christ. And all those things that the confession says about prayer are really things that apply to music as well. That's exactly right. And and the word that that we can use to bring all of that together is worship. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, like I, I hate when people look at a worship service and they, they divide it up and they say, okay, well, well, uh, the music is the worship yeah. and then there's the preaching, you know, <laughs> no, it's all worship. Like everything that we do in the worship service is an act of worship. And going farther than that, I want to say prayer 
including the private individual prayer of a believer, that too is an act of worship. And if you're struggling to kind of understand the the role of prayer or how to do it, I think it helps to go back and, and understand what this is, is you worshiping. So when you worship together with the church corporately on the Lord's day, you're doing the same kind of thing that you're also meant to be doing in private, uh, individually or in the context of your family uh, in the the reformed tradition you know the puritans would kind of make this distinction between uh, public worship and private worship and private worship was what happened in the home what happened either you know the individual and on waking up out of bed and, and praying himself or maybe gathering as a family and praying together as a family that was seen as the same kind of thing that happened on Sunday, just it's happening in a different context. And so there's a uh, encouragement to be worshiping like that throughout the week. So if you understand that, essentially what we're saying is for a life of prayer, practical as you make it, I, if I want to have a prayer life, what I'm basically going to be doing is every day from Sunday to Sunday, I'm going to be holding a little worship service for myself or myself and my family. And in that worship service, I'm going to do kind of like the pattern of things that we do corporately. Like there's going to be some confession of my sin. There's going to be some some acknowledgement, some praise to God for how great he is. There's going to be some reading of scripture and some reflecting on it. And, And as I meditate on that scripture, I'm going to be speaking to God. And at a certain point, we'll maybe talk about this more. I'm going to stop speaking and I'm going to listen. I'm going to sit in silence. I'm going to hear from God in prayer. But it it really is as simple as that. It's just a little worship service you hold with yourself with a very simplified liturgy. There's no uh, time requirements. Sometimes Remember Jesus's words to the disciples, could you not watch with me for an hour? And you think, okay, so an hour is how long I need to pray. There's no set mandate. There's no amount of time you have to be broadcasting for God to hear you or anything like that. This is just worship on an individual level. So I think maybe the best, let's say like simple introduction to prayer is, is a, a short little piece that Martin Luther wrote called A Simple Way to Pray. It has a great story behind it. Have you ever read this, by the way? I did growing up, but I honestly remember nothing. So yeah. happy to learn again. Same here. Same here. Um, I recently went back to it because a friend of mine recommended it to me. And, and it is uh, really helpful, it, although it's brief. It's I printed out a copy and it's like 11 pages in total but full of good stuff. I, I took two pages of typewritten notes as I was reading it. But, but just to give kind of a, a, a little setup. So Martin Luther writes about prayer and he, he directs this to a barber. So he's trying to explain to uh, Peter the barber, I think it is, how he should pray. So necessarily it needs to be uh, simple, right? It needs to be accommodated to uh, what this this you know working man who's serious about his faith, but also is not going to go off and go to seminary or whatever, uh, give him something that, that is actually helpful to him in the life of prayer. Now, you have to think just a little bit about 
why it's so special Martin Luther is the one who's writing this. It's not just because of, you know, the beginning of the Reformation or anything like that, but, but Luther was an Augustinian monk. So he actually had put in a lot of time in a kind of prayer that by the time he writes this, he, he sees very differently. Um, you might think, so he writes about a simple way to pray, but he does this because his background was a really complicated way to pray. He refers to the canonical hours and, and the futility of the wasted hours that he had spent in this kind of prayer. He kind of uh, mocks the priest praying in Latin and then in the middle of these Latin phrases, giving people orders and instructions in the vernacular as if he's not even thinking about what he's saying. He's kind of slurring the words of the prayer and all of that, just to say like, he'd had this experience of very elaborate, very, uh, you might say like fancy and impressive ways of praying. And he'd come to realize that there could be a lot of show in that that didn't really go to the heart of it. And so he wants to simplify greatly. And so when you read A Simple Way to Pray, you get a really, um, I think, down to earth approach. You know, so Luther talks about uh, it's best to, to shoot for morning and evening prayer. He believes, you know, as you're first waking up, kind of one of the first orders of business, get, get prayer done, get prayer out of the way, because once you get busy, you're going to find excuses to put it off. Now saying, just go ahead and do it. He's not a stickler about the amount of time they do. He is, sometimes you might pray just uh, briefly, sometimes a little longer. Uh, don't beat yourself up over it. He is very self-deprecating. He talks about his own prayer life as, as very simple. And what he does oftentimes is he will recite the Lord's Prayer from memory, and then he'll go back over the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, and he'll meditate on them, he'll reflect on them, and he'll kind of expand them. You know, and and he he doesn't necessarily work through the whole prayer. It might just be one phrase. Uh, if he's praying briefly, he he might just take you know, give us this day our daily bread, and then kind of think about and reflect on that, and, and ask for all of the different ways in which God provides for us. Um, if he has more time, he'll go further. So he talks about praying the Ten Commandments. Uh, when he prays the Ten Commandments, he gives a, a little. Uh, four-part pattern. So with each commandment, he'll think about the commandment, and then he'll think about it in four ways. He'll think of it as, as a school book, like what is the instruction? What is the lesson that I meant to learn as a song book? So what, what does this give me uh, to be thankful for? Uh, what should I be praising God for because of this? He'll think of it as a penitential book, so confession of sin, like we were saying before. And then finally, is a prayer book. Like, how does this inspire me to open my heart to God? But the funny thing is, that can be really elaborate. Like, so he's given you four different ways to pray, each of the Ten Commandments. So that's 40 possible prayers right there. And then later, he'll go on to the Apostles' Creed and, and other texts. But all he's really doing is, is giving you kind of an example of, of how you might take the words of God or the words of the Creed and use them in your own prayer as a kind of um, template, which is what Jesus does when he gives the Lord's Prayer. He gives it to us as a model in that way. And so basically, if you 
have memorized the Lord's Prayer, if you have memorized the Ten Commandments, if you've memorized the Apostles' Creed, then those texts become a resource for you to reflect on in prayer. And Luther, it's like, this is enough. You know, he always recommends, and he, he mentions himself, he always grabs his little Psalter, his little book of Psalms, and brings with him. So he's often going to be reading the Psalms and reflecting on the Psalms and doing this kind of meditation on the words of the Psalms. And I think that's that's a wonderful thing to do. In fact, I would recommend to people who who want to develop a more disciplined prayer life that you get a little Psalter. You get just an edition of the Psalms. Even though I know the Psalms are in your regular Bible, it's just, there's something about having them separately like that and knowing like when it's prayer time, I grab my Psalter and I kind of, you know, set aside these moments for prayer. Um, he's, he's great too about just little things like posture and everything. And in Luther's day, interestingly, he, he you know, you could be standing to pray He'd see you kneeling in prayer. He talks about lifting up your eyes to heaven. You know, we're always thinking, you know, eyes closed and head bowed. But but when he thinks of prayer, he thinks of it eyes open towards heaven and uh, hands folded. Uh, I don't think any of those gestures are inherent to it. And, and he kind of throws them out there as, I think, possibilities. Uh, he's, I think, really good about suggesting things, but not, you know, making a, a, a sort of law out of those things. And so in a sense, what he's encouraging you to do is kind of find your discipline, you know, find your way of praying and, and ultimately of being guided by God. In it. And this is, this is the crux, I think. Um, after giving you all this structure, all these methods, all these things to meditate on, Luther makes a point of saying, only do this for as long as you need to, when the Holy Spirit starts to speak to you, when the Holy Spirit begins to, you know, bring the thoughts to your mind, the insights, that sort of thing, then it's time to be quiet because, you know, a, a word from the Spirit is, is better than a thousand words of yours offered up. And so while we think of prayer oftentimes as like human eloquence, the reality is the most important part of prayer is that that listening. Right? While we fill our, our minds and our hearts with the word, but also remember, like some of this should be receptive in, in silence. And, and once that happens, it's okay to kind of let things go in a different direction. Like that he, don't feel like you have to get through all 10 commandments or anything like that. Like the structure is there, but it's there to facilitate. The goal, which remembers communion. So when we commune with God, we don't have to keep worrying about structure. We've arrived, and the structure was the means to get there. I, I really like that, especially when I look at my own experience, my own prayer life over the years. I think I tend toward too much listening, just silence, and, and maybe other people can relate to this too much sign you're just waiting for god to speak or too much input so hmm. so people have told me well you should pray the psalms so i'll sit down and read three psalms and then shut the book and i'm done and that was right. my prayer right and there's some virtue in that but it isn't always an experience of prayer it's it's 
it's like I'm not leaving that room for the spirit to speak. So I like how Luther is saying, yes, lean into the words of God and think about them and, you know, run them, run them over your, your hands. Um, but then wait and listen and kind of do that back and forth, just like we do in a worship service, but do it in every moment of prayer. Exactly. So again, with that, I have just like we do it in a worship service. Uh, for those of you who worship with us at Grace, I, I want to call your attention to something. So as Cameron talks about uh, reflecting on the Psalms, think about the way we sing the Psalms at Grace. We've talked about this in the commentary before, the way our psalm refrains work. We take a phrase, a sentence, some words from the psalm, and we turn that into kind of a recurring refrain that we sing in between readings of that psalm. Now, those words, whatever those words are that we've singled out, they take on a kind of uh, significance through repetition. Now, that's a kind of meditation that we're doing. When we do that, we're meditating on that psalm, right? We're not just singing it, we are praying it in song. Now, if I'm alone one morning with my Psalter opened up to the Psalms, wondering like, how do I get going in prayer? Well, one answer to that is to do what I've learned to do in worship, to look at that psalm, to read that psalm, but to read it looking for the refrain, looking for that line that I can pull out and repeat to myself and really think about. And as I do that, and as I reflect on it, it begins to frame the way I'm thinking about that psalm. And if you do that, and you kind of form the habit of doing that, a couple of things come through. So, So one thing, the meaning of the words really comes through in a more personal way. And so like the, the words become prayer, not just instruction, not just I'm reading and, and getting the content, but they become my words mm-hmm. that I'm speaking to God, the, the words that I'm praying. The other thing that happens, though, is as I'm doing this, a transition is taking place, right, where my focus is not just on like reading and reading comprehension, but it's on taking what I've read and repurposing it as prayer, like as, as a thought or a desire being offered up. And so, again, like these are things you already know. You've already experienced this at worship. What you've got to do is take that experience and apply it in, in, in front of your little Psalter in your morning prayer. So the best way to learn how to pray to go to church. The best way to learn how to pray is to go to church and to pray with the saints as they pray, right? You absolutely, there's no substitute for for learning to pray through prayer. But I do acknowledge that listening to someone else say the words is not the same thing as you saying them. And also there's, there's a thing where when we pray publicly, corporate prayer, we will sometimes express ourselves in in more elevated ways, you know? And, and if you're more eloquent than me and you've got 10 times the vocabulary when you praise God, that's going to sound more impressive to me than when I praise God. And so it's going to feel like maybe uh, Cameron can pray really well, but but I don't 
I don't know how to say stuff like that. But again, missing the point, because the point is not the human eloquence. The point is communion with God. And we know from Scripture that in prayer, the Holy Spirit communicates and, and, and offers up like the, the words that we ourselves can't express. So prayer is an act of worship. We enter into prayer in an attitude of worship. We commune with God through the action of the Spirit in this means of grace. And your anxiety about are you doing it right? Uh, are you saying the right words? All of that kind of stuff. That can go away because we're worshiping. And when you worship, you, you're not being self-critical. You know, you're not engaging that, that kind of um, mindset. Instead, you're focused on God and on hearing from God. And so I bring my resources with me. I've got my Psalter. I've got my scripture. I've got what I've, I've memorized. And I'm going to use those things in prayer. I'm going to say those words. I'm going to make them my own. And I'm going to wait. I'm going to listen as well and try to have both of those things. And I think that is a, uh, like, like just a good practical goal. And if you never proceed beyond that in terms of like technique or structure, if all you manage to do during the day is in the morning or, or the evening, let's see, not even both, just one or the other, and you spend a few moments like that, and then sometimes that five minutes turns into 15 minutes, you know, or 20 minutes or what, you know, whatever, you kind of get lost in it for a little bit. And then you're like, oh, wait a second, what am I doing? Uh, fine, but let it be that way, right? Remember, it's not about duty. So don't beat yourself up that I haven't prayed enough minutes. You know, you don't need a, a prayer tracking app. I've logged enough prayer time. Uh, this is about communing with God. And as you do this, uh, sometimes God will enter into the conversation and he will prolong it a little bit, you know, but let that happen. But don't try to force it, if that makes sense. I, all, all I'm getting at is I think there's a lot of anxiety that we have that we're not doing this enough or right or whatever it is. And that, that because of that, we're not as good a Christian as we could be. And I, I understand where all that comes from. I feel the same things myself. But we need to remember that what this is really about is communing with God and not ticking off a, an obedience box. It might be worth noting, too, that we sometimes expect prayer to be a very glorious event every time. That even, even if we're talking about it as communing with God, well, that sure is going to be impactful. That's going to be big, glorious, apocalyptic even. But there's something to be said for the smallness of prayer, especially the smallness of daily prayers especially when you reflect on the way Jesus really did teach his apostles to pray. It's concerned with bread and, you know, small, small things, the, the worries of everyday life. And while it's great when God shows up and, and, and you really have this maybe unique experience of communion with him, that doesn't mean he's not there when you don't feel that yes. or something. Okay, yeah. So feeling is is really the key because I think this this goes for worship as well. That that we've been accustomed to judging whether or not worship is sincere 
by how we felt in the experience. So I might say, well, I really met with God this morning because I felt really euphoric during worship. And if I don't feel that way, then I might think, well, you know, God didn't show up this morning. And I tend to think of this in a similar way to the way we've talked in the past about general revelation. You know, the Bible says that God reveals himself in all creation and everything that he's made. And yet we look around and we don't see it. It's not because it's not there. It's because in our sin, we're blind to it. And I think the the communing with God is something that, that happens much more than we realize, but oftentimes we're blind to it. It's not that, that the Holy Spirit didn't show up in our worship. It's that we were not focused on, on what we should have been focused on, or, or maybe we couldn't be focused on it in that moment. And I think you want to make an allowance for that as well, because there is something about the humbleness of what we're doing in the same way that, that the sacraments themselves are nothing like as glorious as what they picture and, and, and offer to us. I think in the same way, our, our experience of worship when we pray and we talk about, you know, the church, we've entered into the throne room of God. And if you're looking around the room while we're praying words like that, you're saying, well, that's funny because it looks like an office building to me. This is a weird place for God to have his throne. Yeah, it is. It's a really strange place for God to have his throne. And yet he does. But there's that weird tension, right, between the, the humble surroundings and the glorious, transcendent thing that is also happening at the same time. And I think in prayer, it's often like that, where the, the time that we spend in prayer can't really be measured by the, the, the feeling of spiritual ecstasy that resulted from it. But, but all too often, that is how we approach prayer. We approach prayer in an attitude of mysticism, and don't believe that we have communed with God unless we have, you know, come back from the mountaintop glowing with our hair turned white by his glory, you know. And, and so I don't want to disallow the mysticism and say there's no room for that because, of course, there is. But I also want to make room for the humble, as you're saying as well, and not judge whether or not I have the prayer life I should have based on those kinds of what even in scripture are very exceptional experiences. So I think if we were going to recommend like one next step for a listener who is interested in going farther in this, we'll probably talk about prayer more on the commentary. But uh, if you, you really want to dive in right now, obviously the Martin Luther a simple way to prayer would be a simple way to pray would be a good starting point. 11 pages, easy to read. If you're interested in my notes on that, uh, let me know and I'd be happy to share those as well. Uh, but I'm going to make another recommendation and it won't surprise you to know that I'm going to recommend Tim Keller's book, Prayer. Uh, now, I'm going to do it even though I really don't like the, the subtitle. So the subtitle, it's called Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. And I want to change it to Experiencing Communion with God. But that's fine. I get it. I get it. Uh, here's why I'm recommending Tim Keller's book, 
when I went to try to put together resources on prayer, like the kind of stuff, the blend of the practical and the theological that I would like to share with people, it turns out everything that I put together is is more or less covered or alluded to in Keller's book. And he does a, a great job with that. And of course, he also brings so much more to it than than I had ever thought of as well. And so the book is about 300 pages, including the notes. It is a really good capsule of how to think about prayer and also how to learn to pray and how to um, to go deeper in prayer. He does talk about uh, Luther's essay. He talks about Augustine's thoughts on prayer. He goes through John Calvin's section on prayer from the Institutes, which is full of, of rich and wonderful stuff. So I think Keller's book is a great starting point. He also does something I love. He, he has an, an annotated bibliography at the back where he lists books on prayer and different topics related to prayer. And then he gives you some notes on um, kind of what's good about this book or what's not good about that book, or whatever. So it gives you all of these recommendations with a little bit of insight into where to go next. So if you have questions about prayer that are, are super practical, kind of how-to stuff, he'll give you guidance where to take that deeper. But if your questions are more uh, cerebral, if you're wondering about maybe uh, theological implications, then he's got some good direction for you there as well. So that's uh, Tim Keller's book, Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God, uh, which he actually wrote because as a pastor, he had a lot of people asking him, how do I pray? And he found that there was no one book that he could recommend that kind of covered the bases the way that uh, he wanted to do. And so he wrote this book and it's a rich gift, I think, to, uh, to all of us who are seeking to commune with God more deeply through prayer. Well, that's all the time we have for the commentary this week. I know we haven't answered all your questions about prayer, but I hope we've at least kindled an interest in praying more. Thank you, Cameron, and thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you'll join us next time. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.